Hello and welcome to the Combat and Classics Podcast. This is Brian Wilson in Dallas, Texas. Shiloh Brooks at the University of Colorado in Boulder. And Jeff Black at St. John's College in Annapolis, Maryland. We are back with book 15 of Homer's Iliad. Shiloh is going to give us a summary and I'm going to ask an opening question. All right. So book 15, you got to recall where we uh, left off last time. So what happened last time is that Hera seduced Zeus uh, to bed and then wreaked, she and Poseidon sort of uh, wreaked havoc on the battlefield. Um, Well, in book 15 at the beginning, uh, Zeus wakes up and he sees what's gone on. And so Hera's immediately like, Poseidon did it. <laughs> you know, she just, she just totally, um, you know, uh, absolves herself of blame. And Zeus, you know, sort of tells her, it's okay. Um, I don't have a dog in this fight in an odd way. And then he just sort of lays on her. He says, look, here's what's going to happen. Patroclus uh, is going to put on Achilles' armor. He's going to go. Hector's going to kill him. And then Troy's going to fall. And that's how it's going to go. Uh, and 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 uh, I think Hera. I don't know what you know what her reaction to this is, but he sort of tells her, "Help me set it in motion." And so they summon uh, Iris and Apollo. They tell Poseidon to leave the battlefield. Um, Apollo, who sides with the Trojans, goes and finds Hector and fills him with a lot of uh, um, uh, gumption. And the, the Greek uh, is chutzpah. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> manliness. Testo- I don't know, testosterone. Anyway, uh, Hector uh, leads the charge. The Achaeans are beaten back again. Um, there's a moment where Apollo uh, helps him. Um, it's always interesting to me when the gods come down and actually do something on the battlefield. Um, and then there's basically the, the, the Trojans push toward the ships even closer, and there's a lot of combat. You see... Uh, Ajax and Hector. There is a, a notable moment when this archer, Teucer, he, fa- he kills a number of Trojans and Zeus snaps his bowstring because he um, looks like he's about to, to kill Hector. And Zeus sort of says, you know, uh, not right now, something like that. And so then um, Hector rallies the Trojans and uh, it looks like the Trojans are about to take uh, the ships when the chapter uh, or when the book ends. Yeah, thanks, Shiloh. Um, so there's this weird, like, reaction that Zeus has um, right after he kind of wakes up, finds out what's going on, and Hera, like Shiloh said, is like, Poseidon did it. Um, and instead of kind of getting angry, um, Homer describes it like this. So she spoke, and the father of gods and men smiled and answered, and answering her, he spoke winged words. If now then, Lady Hera of the Melting Eyes, you indeed were to take your seat among the immortals, sharing my view, then would Poseidon, even if he strongly wished it otherwise, soon turn the direction of his mind to follow your heart and mine. And so it seems like he's kind of giving Hera an out, like maybe he doesn't believe her or something like that. But I'm not exactly sure. And it reminds me of this other time that Zeus smiles, which is back in book eight, around line 40, where Athena is kind of defending getting involved in the battle, even though he told her not to. Um, And Athena says, to be sure, we shall keep away from the war if you bid us, but we will put counsel in the mind of Argives, which may profit them so that not all will perish by your anger. And like Zeus said, like, do not get involved. Um, And she kind of finds a way to get involved without getting involved. And the whole passage there is she's kind of frightened of what he does or what he might do. 
But Zeus replies at 39, Homer describes it like this. And smiling on her, Zeus, who gathers the clouds, spoke, Take heart, dear child, for not in all seriousness do I speak, and I wish to be kind to you. So what is it, what is it about the passage in 15, or Zeus more broadly? Like, these, these, it seems like he, whenever he gets like a little bit of rebellion, or whenever he sees a little bit of rebellion, he makes these grandiose threats um, and talks about, like in this Hera passage in 15, like, remember when I strung you up from Olympus and with gold chains and hung you in the air and blah, blah, blah. And she's like, oh, yeah. Um, and it seems kind of scary, like if you're a god to be like, you know, detained and um, being hanging from Olympus. Um, but then he just kind of smiles and just kind of plays it off and does and does some weird politicking i think anyway i'm trying to answer my own question to a degree but the question is like why does zeus smile Mm -hmm. yeah i like i like this question a lot we haven't uh it's been a while since we've really tackled a direct question about the gods and so it's good to get back to this theme which is a very uh, for me at least a very difficult theme so let me just try out a hypothesis and i'll i'll see what you guys think of it and we can abandon it if it seems no good but um could it be that Zeus is smiling when he detects another god in a lie. And that the ordinary response to a lie would be anger. And anger is justified if you're hurt by a lie, right? If it seems to have taken something from you. Um, Somebody's trying to get away with something. But Zeus thinks he's different enough from all the other gods that they can't hurt him by lying. And so the smile indicates a kind of superiority to uh, whatever, uh, you know, Hera in this case or Athena in the earlier case is trying to get away with. Um, What do you guys think of that? Does that fit with the text? And does that seem kind of initially probable to you? So he detects a lie, you're saying. And and, and the smile indicates, I mean, I don't know if a smile is identical to laughter, but does he think it's funny? Is that what you're saying? He thinks it's funny that they're lying because he's so superior to them that they have this notion that they're going to deceive him. And he's like, you're, I'm Zeus. Get, get out of here. It's cute. You're, you know, or something like that. Like what? Um, is it funny? Is it humorous to him? Is that what, what you're saying, Jeff? Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know um, what the what the elements of humor are exactly that are being drawn out here, but the sense of being above something. I think is the one I want to put my finger on that might be the cause of the smile, right? So you might, I'm, I'm thinking of the, uh, we just recently got a little dog and he's a very cute dog and he likes to, he likes to fight with um, beings that are much larger than him. And that kind of aggression provokes a smile, I think in part because um, you have a sense that you're not, you're not really vulnerable, right? And so there's something maybe amusing, maybe pleasing even in the effort of a being that is lesser than you to try to assert itself um, in this unequal relationship. So yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I, was, I wanted to try and go in that direction and see if it held any water. And just in terms of evidence, right, hasn't Athena in the, in the book 15 passage, uh, so the one we're primarily talking about today, Athena has just said, um, one, that Poseidon is doing his own thing, and two, that she would have told him um, if, you know, he had asked her to do what Zeus wants, right? She's made that claim. And Zeus's comeback after the smile is, 
Hera, if you and I agreed, <laughs> then Poseidon wouldn't have tried this, right? And so he essentially calls bullshit on her argument, right? Oh, I would have told him. No, he wouldn't have tried it unless he knew that you and I were in disagreement on this, right? You're, you're really responsible for this. But if it's true that Zeus can pick up all the other gods at the end of a golden chain, um, can it really matter to him? It's interesting. I, Zeus talks a lot about punishing the gods, but I can't remember a single time he's done it in this book. Which seems interesting, right? It's always the threat of punishment, but we don't actually see any of the punishment. We kind of get threats and we get like, oh, remember that time. But we don't actually, it doesn't, nothing's included in it. There's no passage where like we see a, a god suffering some torment because of Zeus's anger, mm. right? But we see the the god tiptoeing up to that, you know, the the lesser gods tiptoeing up to that, like you're talking about with the little dog, um, and Zeus just kind of smiles when they when they buck like that, and it is very intriguing, and and I almost wonder if Zeus, you know, when you're a god, maybe it's a little boring, and so a little bit of politics is can be fun. You know, a little bit of deception and a little bit of internal strife and turmoil might break up the monotony of, you know, smelling roast bulls and turning yourself into a swan to have sex and stuff. Yeah. Um, but it is, it's also interesting, you know, because we've talked about, uh, Jeff, the class that I had with you years ago about looking for the parallels between the gods and the mortals. Mm-hmm. Um and this seems to be like anti-Agamemnon in some way because, you know, when Agamemnon gets upset, he cries. And he mm-hmm. cries in front of everybody. And whenever... Uh, and it's usually the starting of that is usually someone kind of disagreeing with him or pushing just a little bit. Um, and something not going according to plan. And, like, a lot of what Zeus kind of has planned, at least what we think he has planned, doesn't really come to fruition immediately. Um, and the gods don't obey him and he just smiles about it he just kind of has a chuckle um you know is there a mortal that we would think is shares some of these characteristics with zeus i mean maybe the obvious place to look and wonder would be is achilles at all like zeus right and you know, I think we get a, a negative on two counts. One, he doesn't have the kingly relation to the other um, chiefs among the Achaeans, right? So he, he isn't in Agamemnon's position, even though I think he thinks he merits it. Um, he, he might have, you know, thought about meriting it. Um, but two, he doesn't, he seems to be, to some extent, underneath um, the injustice that's done to him. Uh, and we'll see, you know, not not in this book, but in the next book, that you know, there, there might still be a fair amount of depth of feeling that he's been wronged. Whereas it looks like when Zeus detects um, injustice is done to him, I, I don't get the impression they get under his skin very much. Um, now, the, the question about, you know, whether he's actually punished the gods is interesting to me. It looks like he did it in the past, right? In other words, he doesn't threaten and then the gods say, oh, yeah, but you told me that, you know, 25 millennia ago and you never carried it out. They say, oh, yeah, I remember the time that Zeus threw me all the way down to earth, or I remember the time that Zeus hung me 
uh, from my uh, wrists with anvils on my ankles, right? You know, whatever it was. So it looks like he did it in the past. Um, does he not need to do it now because he did it in the past? I'm not sure. Um, but this, this question of, about whether he enjoys a certain amount of strife and faction amongst the gods, uh, that kind of makes some sense to me. I was wondering why he didn't, um, why he sends Hera to um, summon Iris and uh, Apollo, why he doesn't just somehow summon them himself or show up to them himself. Um, it does seem like a lordly thing to do, but it also gives uh, Hera this opportunity to show up in front of all the gods and say, you wouldn't believe all the crappy stuff that Zeus is doing. Oh, and by the way, Ares, your son is dead, right? This very kind of striking scene. Um, and then Athena has to talk Ares off the ledge. Ares is about to go uh, down. And Athena basically says, you see the thing that Zeus is doing between the, the Trojans and the Greeks? He's going to do that to us if you don't back off, right? So a lot of the signs here, for me, point to um, effects of a genuine inequality between Zeus and the other gods. Um, and the only counter-argument I see in, in this context, a very interesting one, is what Poseidon... It, it is bringing to... Yeah. Oh, go ahead, Shalos, sir. Oh, no, no. I was just going to say the Poseidon thing is really interesting. I forgot about that. No. <laughs> so so um, I just want to kind of get make sure that I understand that because you're talking about a genuine inequality. You're saying, well, Zeus is... Um, you know, Zeus sees that there's an inequality here. And Poseidon, when confronted with it, seems to say that there's not. Is that right? He says we were born and, and uh, we were cast lots. Zeus got the sky, I got the seas, and then our brother got um, the underworld. Mm -hmm. and, um, and he seems to, to not think that there's any um, right for Zeus to tell him what to do or what not to do on account of the fact that they were born three and randomly assigned these realms. Mm -hmm. And so I don't, I don't fully understand that. And maybe you can, somebody explain it to me is that because that's not the case, or at least for the reader, it's very clear that Zeus is the one wearing the pants as it were. Yet it appears as though the history is such, um, is not to be that way. And I'm not sure if Poseidon got mad enough. He couldn't, I mean, you know, I'd like to see it. He couldn't, he couldn't be, uh, take out Zeus in a fight or at least challenge him. I don't know, water extinguishes lightning or something like this. I don't know. So, <laughs> you know, get into the Avengers, you know, which yeah. superhero can beat whom and, you know, it's Superman like. He, anyway, you get the idea. So, yeah. so can, you, can you say, Jeff, what, how that colors what you're thinking about uh, Zeus's smile? And am I right that, that they're equal or is Poseidon deceived? They're, mm -hmm. they're in fact not equal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, I don't. Um quite know how to weigh Poseidon's claim. So it seems like a claim from birth, right? They are all um, born equally. They're all um, brothers. And the assignment of the three realms by lot uh, is an acknowledgement of that equality of birth, right? I think that, you know, that is agnostic as to power, right? There's nothing stops three brothers born together, even, you know, three brothers born simultaneously from eventually differing in power. Um, by a considerable amount. Um, so it looks like an argument from right. Um, and there's this weird sovereignty twist, too, if I can put it that way, because part of the argument is we each got one of the realms by, by lot. The other part is uh, the earth was assigned to nobody, that it's common property, and because the battle's happening on the earth, Zeus can't tell me, Poseidon, to stay out of the territory, right? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm on common territory, so is he. 
uh, nobody's got sovereignty over this area. But those are both arguments from um, right rather than from force. And one of the things that, that um, makes me a little suspicious about Poseidon's comeback is uh, if you'll notice Iris's behavior. She's very interesting. She gets a charge um, from Zeus, and as Homer quite often does, she repeats exactly what Zeus says, but he, uh, she adds a, a sentence or an idea in the middle, um, which Zeus never said, um, which is that Zeus would come down and uh, threaten Poseidon in single combat. Right? So what is a kind of gentle or amor amorphous threat from Zeus gets very vivid when Iris reports it. And Poseidon initially says, you know, uh, forget it, I'm not backing off. And Iris says, really, is that your final answer? Do you want to um, start a war between you and Zeus? And then Poseidon says, okay, well, I'll, I'll do it, not because of his threat, but I'll yield in this case, as long as he destroys Troy, right? In other words, as long as his support for the Trojans is temporary. So, you know, uh, I think there's, there's no clear evidence here that Poseidon is actually right. Uh, Zeus, Zeus, I think, looks superior. But uh, it's not a complete tyranny because his superiority is not completely impressed on any of the gods. One of the things that's interesting is that, you know, well, I guess two things. Like, Poseidon kind of sounds like the guy at the bar that gets challenged by somebody who's bigger than him and is just like, I could totally mess this guy up. Like, but I'm just, I, I don't care enough. I'm not going to do it. Like, it's not, who cares, you know? Like, Tro Troy's going to fall. I could totally mess him up, but I'm, I'm just, I don't feel like it. I got other stuff going on. Um, the other piece is, it seems like the thing that separates Zeus, if it's not the power, is at least the willingness to use it, right? Uh, I mean, if we think back, like, I think, I don't know if I've mentioned this on the pod, but for our listeners and for you guys too, um, recently read Stephen Fry's Mythos, um, mm. which is a, have you guys read that or seen that? I've seen it, but not it's read it. It's quite yeah. lovely. Like I was, I was very pleasantly surprised because, you know, he's like, they made this stuff up. So I'm going to, I'm going to make some stuff up and does just some wonderful dialogue between the gods. Um, and Zeus is the guy that's willing to use violence. You know, Zeus kills his, or at least, you know, gelds his father um, while he's having sex with his mother. Um, you know, Zeus is willing to use violence. Um, and I, you know, and it's interesting because you go through like mythos and it's just pretty much Zeus that's doing it, uh, at least mm -hmm. to other gods. And so whether or not the power is equal or not, Zeus is at least willing to try and is at least willing to use violence or, or the threat of violence to kind of get his way. Um I'd also mention that coming back to the kind of parallels, um, I think that there maybe are some parallels between Achilles and Zeus, and, and this is tenuous, so you guys can absolutely push back on this, but I am thinking of 16, um, and, and so I won't get too in-depth, but um, you know when Patroclus is, is crying in 16, and initially Homer describes Achilles as pitying him, but then kind of makes fun of him for being womanly. And also says, um, you know, well, I'll fight when, you know, the, I, like I said, I'll fight when the uh, Trojans are at the ships. And we just had a scene where Ajax is on his ship getting pummeled um, by the Trojans. And Achilles just like, why are you crying? Why are you being so womanly? I'll fight when they get to the ships. They're at the ships, dude. Um, and so there is this kind of like strange reaction, I guess I'll call it. 
um, when confronted by other people or got that, that Zeus has with gods and that um, Achilles has with mortals where he's not really I, I, it's speaking as truthfully as he could I guess is a way to put it um, so like I said a tenuous tenuous tie I'm not totally convinced of it but I don't know it seems like maybe there's some parallels there so that we're not told that Achilles smiles when he sees Patroclus like that, but maybe in effect he is smiling. There might be something even humorous in the comparison, a gentle chiding that comes from maybe feeling above the sentiments that seem to be moving Patroclus so much. Well, who gently chides? Because it is, he's like kind of sarcastically just toying with him in the, in the passage in 16. Uh, who does that when your buddy's crying and when your compatriots mm. are dying all around you, and when you said, when the Trojans get to the ships, I'll fight, and you're just kind of chiding, you know, this guy that works for you, who's crying. Like, what kind of person is in who is in charge, quote-unquote in charge, does something like that? Um, to some degree, I want to answer that with a tyrant in both cases, right? Um, like, a tyrant almost knows that people aren't going to tell him the truth, right? A tyrant almost knows that they're going to kind of say what he wants to hear, right? Um, mm -hmm. And also that a tyrant doesn't have to respond with any degree of empathy, um, doesn't have to listen to what people tell him because the power is such, the power differential is such that they're just going to do whatever they want and toying with these people or mortals that have less power might be more entertaining to them than taking it seriously, you know, I don't know, something along those lines. Uh, Shiloh mentioned, I, I think before we were, um, uh, before we hit record and, and, and I had a similar feeling, which is like the second half of this book is just more like this dude killed this dude and this dude killed this dude. And so like, I'm putting my editor hat on here. And just go, and, and, you know, I've got Homer in my office at Simon and Schuster in New York City. We flew him up here, and we're just like, "Hey, man, um, yeah." The end of book fifteen. Are, we're doing this again. We're we're gonna have another little back and forth. And this guy killed this guy. And like most authors are like, "No, we got to keep it. We get it's." Listen, no, this is this is this part's really important. Like I spent a lot of time on this. We got to keep it. Um, yeah. and so I I. I'm trying to wonder, like, why are we doing this again? Like, because it's it's a shame to say, but, uh, you know, I'm getting a little bored with the, and this guy killed this guy, and this guy killed this guy, and then this guy stole this guy's armor, but this guy cut off this guy's head. And it's just like, mm -hmm. oh, okay, got it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's bad. But um, I'm wondering just, you know, and I, I think I've actually asked this on a previous spot, but I'm wondering, like, what is the point of this constant kind of like back and forth and slaughter detail and excuse me, you know, is it the Michael Bay effect that Homer's trying to use and just let's, let's blow up some cars and have these robots shoot some lasers or like, what are we doing here? I guess I have a couple thoughts on this one. I don't know. Uh, maybe my imagination goes in a different uh, kind of chronological direction from yours, but I'm, I try to throw myself mentally into the, um, the feast uh, you know, about 600 BC or whatever it is, and the requests are coming out for which book of Homer they want sung. And somebody, you know, somebody says, oh, book 15, book 15. 
And everybody else goes, oh, no, not book 15, mm-hmm. right? Why'd you pick that one? Um, I, so the thoughts are these. Um, you know, so all these folks who die um, in, to varying degrees, we get genealogies of them. And I think maybe one of the things that you might hear is about your ancestors, right? And so it might be important to hear so-and-so, who for us is a, a fairly obscure fighter, and how he met his end because he was the son of so-and-so and he was exiled because he had accidentally killed somebody and now you know, he met his fate here on Troy. That might be a kind of shout out um, whose power we recognize in different contexts. Um, but I guess maybe the, the more serious suggestion I have in mind is this feels a little bit to me like building tension. Um, it's, it's been at least since book eight that we've known that Achilles' absence is really a problem for the Greeks because book nine we get the embassy. So the efforts to bring him back and the question of what are we going to do without him uh, has um, you know, been floated. And in book nine we got the last thing that Achilles says, which is I'm not coming back until the fighting is around my ship or around my hut and the ships are on fire. And book 15 is an extended flirtation with the attempt to light the ships on fire. I mean, quite extended. Uh, you know, there are three or four opportunities where it looks like Hector is ready and he's just looking around. Somebody bring me a torch, right? And they don't, they don't get it, right? And the ships will get lit on fire in 16. And even Zeus says that that is his signal to swap the direction of things, to say, yeah, the, the, um, the wish of Achilles has been fulfilled. And so it looks like um, even though Achilles' last answer in the, in the embassy chapters in Book 9 doesn't get promulgated to the Greeks, right? It's not clear to me exactly who knows, except for the people on the embassy, that his final position was, I'm going to start fighting again when the ships are on fire and the, the fighting's around my huts. Um, it looks like we're supposed to know that. And so we know that when the ships get lit on fire, Zeus knows when the ships get lit, lit on fire, everything changes. And so we get this extended flirtation with the fire. Um, and that's where we get left at the end of the book. That makes sense. That's probably a good spot to end this podcast. Uh, so thank you, Shiloh. Thank you, Jeff. Uh, book 15 complete. Uh, you can rate us on the iTunes. You can reach out to us on the socials at Combat and Classics. You can email us combatandclassics at gmail.com. Um, would love to hear from you. Thanks, fellas. And we'll uh, hear from you again on book 16. Yeah, until next time.